Lord, thank you for this sweet time of worship as we sit at your feet, as we drink in, God, your presence, your, your very uh, uh, touch upon us, God, your Holy Spirit. We just drink in, Lord, your spirit. God, we ask right now that you continue and speak to us, Lord, as we get into your word. Bless your word, Jesus. God, anoint it. God, and as we learn, may we grow, may we change, may we be transformed this morning, right now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One Monday morning, a minister took the bus from his home to the church office. On his way to his seat, after paying the fare, he noticed the driver of the bus had given him back too much change. So he's looking in his hand like, oh, I got too many coins here. Well, when his stop came for him to get off, he went up to the bus driver and handed back the extra change, saying, you made a mistake. You gave me back too much. Well, the bus driver smiled, and he said, there's no mistake. I visited your church yesterday and heard you preach on honesty. (laughs) So I wanted to put you to the test. Oh, how do you like that? Yeah? The bus driver wanted to see if he was really for real. Well, isn't that true for us believers? As we say, actions speak louder than words. You know what? The world is watching us. The world puts us to the test. How are we living? What is our conduct in our daily lives? A second century monk, Francis of Assisi, wrote this, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. I like that one. The world is watching more than it's listening. When an African prince gave his life to Jesus and was saved, you know what? He said this. He said, I can't read this book by myself, talking about our Bibles. But I do believe the words because I've watched these missionaries for two years. He went on to say, I see something different in them. So when they tell me this is God's word, I believe it. Well, this morning, that is the difference that makes the difference. The way we live our lives. Not just what we say is important, but how we live out our life in Jesus Christ. The difference that makes the difference. That's what we're going to be seeing here in the book of First First. First. Peter. And let me tell you, the believer's life is a powerful testimony of God to the world around us. Again, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. Just two verses this morning. And in this, I want to give you our outline, and it's actually our points too. So we have three points this morning. Number one, realize who you are now. Number two, resist the old sinful flesh. And number three, reflect a life in Jesus. If you look at this outline, if you look at these points, you see how it flows one into the other. This is what Peter is unfolding to us here in these two verses. Realize who you are now. When you really realize that, then you know you need to resist the old sinful flesh. And when you resist the old sinful flesh, you know what comes a life that reflects Jesus, 
that's in there. All right, so let's get into our passage here this morning. Number one, our first point in our outline is realize who you are now. Realize who you are now. And for this first part, this first point, we are just looking at the first part of verse 11. But uh, let's read the whole verse together. It says here, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passion of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Now we're going to just take this first part. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Now, Peter begins here bringing out really three descriptions of who you are now as believers. And that's what I want you to focus in on. I want you to see who, who you are. Who am I in Christ? Well, Peter helps us out in three things here, three descriptions. And he just brings these three things out for now. Number one, what we see here, first of all, in verse 11, he says the word beloved. He says, number one, you are beloved. You are the beloved. You are beloved, you can say. That means you're loved of, by God. God loves you. Peter reminds the believers that they're deeply loved by God. They are in his heart. And, and really, this connects to what we saw last week. If you remember, the title was Your Special Place with God, and we studied the verses from 6 through 10. You remember, we have that loving relationship, that God is there. He, would not, he will not put us to shame. He'll take care of us. Remember, we have this living relationship, like Israel did. We're his people. We're his priests. Remember, we learned all that, and we saw that we have a liberating relationship, that he's taking us from darkness to the light. And all of this spoke to us about our privilege, our position, our special place to God. And so, beloved here, the first word in verse 11 really connects us. It bridges us to what he was just talking about. And it focuses in on how God loves you. You are loved by God. Did you know in the book of 1 Peter and 2 Peter, beloved, is, that phrase is said eight times. Peter loves that. I'm sure he felt that from, his, from the Lord. He felt that love, right, because of his failures and the things that he went through. He knows he's beloved. And so he calls these believers beloved. You are loved. You are special to God. Know that this morning. You are loved by God in a special way. I think about Psalm 139, verse 17 and 18 says, How precious to me are your thoughts. O oh God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. Isn't that wonderful to hear this morning? I'm sure you know that verse, but maybe today that's a word from the Holy Spirit, from God to you this morning, that you are loved. That, that God that is your person that God looks at as one of his, one he loves. So realize who you are now. Realize who you are. Realize that you are loved by God. Going on here in verse 11, Peter says something else. He says, I urge you as sojourners. What's a sojourner? Well, the word means foreigner. You're a foreigner. In other words, remember who you are. You're from a different country. You, you come from a different country. Your country is heaven. Now that you're in Christ, 
You're a sojourner. You're a foreigner. You are only a temporary resident here on this planet. What are we? We're really citizens of heaven, aren't we? Philippians 3.20 tells us. You know, uh, the other day I was checking my passport, and I opened it up. And in my passport, it shows that I am a citizen of the United States. My country of origin is America. It's where we live. It's our country. But Peter's saying, look, you guys have like this spiritual passport. And it declares that you are a citizen of heaven. That your original country that you've been born again into in Christ is heaven. That's your country. You're a foreigner. You're a sojourner. Realize who you are now, a foreigner in this world. You're a foreigner. You're a sojourner. So he says we're beloved. Realize you're loved by God. He says you're a sojourner. Realize who you are now. You're a foreigner in this world. And then number three, the third thing he puts out here as sojourners and exiles, exiles. You know what that basically means? You're a visitor just passing through. You're a visitor just passing through. It is related. It is connected you know, to being a foreigner. But more specifically, you know what? This world is not your home. The NASB translates this as strangers. The Old King James translates this Greek word as pilgrims. Yeah, we're just passing through. We're just a visitor. This world is not your home. It's like the writer in Hebrews 13, 14 said that we seek a city to come. We look like Abraham did for a city whose maker and foundation is from God. That's our home. We are just passing through here to get to our destination. So I love that thought that this isn't our home. We're heading home. Then we're just visitors here. We're foreigners. We're strangers. We're pilgrims making our way as visitors just going through this world to get to our destination. Think about it this way. Howard Hendricks said this. Most people think that they are in the land of the living heading toward the land of the dead. But the truth is we're in the land of the dying heading toward the land of the living. I love that thought. I love that. We are going to really live in heaven. That's when we're going to live. That's when we're going to really have life when we get home to heaven. So realize who you are now. Realize you're just this visitor passing through. You're just passing through. Now I want you to notice something. Look at verse 11. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you. Do you see that? In all of these things, he's urging us. In all all of that he's going to be saying here in these two verses, he wants us to understand these things. It's a call to prompt our attention. He's saying, this is important, you guys, because the way you carry yourself shows where you're from. You are to carry yourself as if this world is not your home. That's the whole idea of these two verses, really. You are to conduct yourselves. You are to live 
as if this world, this planet we live on, we don't really belong to. We're foreigners. We're sojourners. We're pilgrims. We're heading somewhere else. We're strangers. This isn't our home. On one trip to Japan, I was buying some snacks at this convenience store in the airport. And as I brought our items up, my wife was with me, and I brought the items up to the counter, the cashier, the Japanese cashier there, asked me something in Japanese. And I was kind of, uh, I maybe, I mean, I would get that in Japan too, because I, I look Asian, well, I'm Japanese, but, I, but, you know, but she thought I would understand, right? She thought that when she asked me whatever that it was, that, that I would like, oh yeah, and just speak back Japanese, like I'm from there. But I, I, I kind of looked at her a little bit in shame and said, oh, sorry, I only speak English. <laughs> and then she turned to someone else nearby, another co-worker, and, who could speak English, and all I really heard was gaijin. <laughs> and you know what that is, foreigner, right? Foreigner, mark him, yeah. Uh, yeah, he kind of looks like, you know, maybe he's from here, but no, mark him, he's gaijin, you know. It's obvious, yeah, that I'm, I don't live there. I'm not from Japan. I can't speak the language. Well, think about that as a Christian. Think about that as a believer. Once you come to Christ in the same way, you know, you're a gaijin in this world. You're a gaijin in this world. You may look like you, 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 you live here, you're from here, you're right in this country, quote-unquote, the world. But you're actually a citizen of heaven. Your home is in heaven. And so you know what? The way you live, you don't live like you used to before Christ. Now in Christ, you live differently. You don't carry yourself like you belong here. You don't speak the same anymore. Yeah? You don't use certain words. You don't carry certain attitudes. You don't go places. You don't go to parties or, or get drunk or whatever anymore because you know what? This isn't your home. The world may do that. This country, the world so to speak, may do that and live like that. But not you. Not you because remember who you are. Realize who you are. Right? You're, you're, you're loved by God. That, you're in this special place. You're, you're a foreigner to this. You're just passing through. Listen, when you forget who you are, you start living like a citizen of the world. That's what happens. And not a citizen of heaven. Not like a foreigner. Not like you're just passing through getting home. So don't live like you belong here anymore. Realize who you are now. Oh, beloved of God, you, you gaijin. <laughs> That's the difference that makes the difference. Realize who you are now. Well, let's go on to number two, our second point. Resist the old sinful flesh. Resist the old sinful flesh. Now, you realize who you are. You're loved of God. You're a child of God. That you're just a foreigner. So then as you live on this planet, resist the old sinful flesh. Look at verse 11 once again. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, 
To what? Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So Peter's saying, now, now that you realize who you are now, Peter writes, believers need to abstain, abstain. That word in original language means to stay away. Keep your distance. It, it, it means really, it, it's an action word. It means to be active about it. Not be lazy about it, but doing something about it. It means to resist, really, with a lot of effort. Resist with a passion. With a passion. What are we to abstain from? Well, he tells us here, right? Abstain from the passions of the flesh. Passions here speaks of a very, very strong desire. Uh, other translations say the lust of the flesh. And we know lust is not just sexual sins, but it's any strong desire that comes from what? The flesh. So the passions of the flesh. What's the flesh? That's that old sinful nature in us. The old sinful flesh, we call it. The old self-absorbed sinful nature that we were in bondage before we came to Christ. That controlled us. But now in Christ, we know we are freed from that. Christ died and rose again so that he can break that bondage. The pictures like Israel being brought out of Egypt, delivered from the bondage of Egypt, and now they're free to be a nation of God. That, that, that's who we are now. That's what God has done. And so we need to passionately resist the passions of your old sinful self. You got that? Passionately. Yeah? Resist the passions of your old sinful self. So resist the old sinful flesh passionately. What are they? What are some of the works of this flesh? Well, turn over to the left to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 19 through 21. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. Here, the Apostle Paul lists what the works of the flesh are. What, 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 what these past, our passions come out to. Galatians 5, verse 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealous, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says that because this is how the world is. This is how the unsaved work runs. People without Jesus who have not been freed from the bondage, who are not living, as this chapter talks about, in the spirit, in the new person that they are. So see this list here. May it help you discern What's going on inside of you? Sometimes we're not sure, well, is this the new me or the old me? Well, here it's pretty clear that you can look at this and say, okay, God is very specific to what the works of the flesh are. And so be careful to give in to the passions of the flesh. 
Well, let's go back to verse 11 in 1 Peter chapter 2. He goes on here in verse 11. He says, To abstain from the passions of the flesh, verse 11, which wage war against your soul. So resist those old cravings. Resist the passions of the flesh, which what? Wage war against your soul. Wage war speaks of a continual battle. Not just a one-time attack, but a strong fleshly desire that keeps coming on, that keeps coming back. It's a continual battle that goes on. It, it could be the same front. Sometimes don't we get that? Sometimes it's the same habitual sin that we're tempted in, that we're weakened, that continually there's a war going on there. It could speak of that. It could speak of other fronts. Whatever that is, this is, this is what, what Peter's saying, is that the idea is this is what the sinful nature does. The old sinful flesh, flesh it wages war. It wages war. It doesn't back down. Remember, as we're still in this body of flesh, we're going to fight our sinful flesh. It's attached to that. We're freed by the blood of Christ and his resurrection. And one day we're going to get some new glorified bodies. I can't wait. Once we go to heaven, I cannot wait. And I'll be free, not just of my old age aches and pains, but I'll be freed of my sinful flesh. But for now, as we live on this earth, that's why Peter's saying, you guys resist those old cravings. Resist the old sinful flesh. It's waging war against you. It, it is declared war against you once you came to Christ. Once you became this new person, it doesn't like that. So resist. It's not going to back down at all as long as we're in this sinful fleshly body. Evangelist D.L. Moody once said, I have more trouble with D.L. Moody than anyone else I know. Amen to that, right? right? It's that inside of us, that battle. Resist the old sinful flesh, and you know what? Expect the fight. Expect the fight. And then he says in verse 11, which wage war against what? Your soul. Your soul. It speaks of this new person. It speaks of, you know what? The new you in Christ. It speaks of who you are now. The new you. So realize who you are. And then resist this old sinful flesh because it's waging war against you. It hates the new you. Now, think about it this way. The old sinful flesh, it always wants to do what it wants to do, right? And, 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 and so before, before Christ, it always got its way. Yeah. And now it cannot. It can't control you. It's not getting its way. So it's going to wage war against your soul. It's going to try and pull you down. It's going to try and live rather than the new you. But praise the Lord, Jesus is in us. You can read Romans 7. That's what Paul talks about. The struggle between, well, I want to do good, but I don't. Right? But at the end of that chapter, he says, who will deliver me? Who will deliver my soul? Thank God we have Jesus Christ. Jesus does. And you know what? God has given us the Holy Spirit too. God, the Spirit, 
God the Spirit is in us, and His strength, His power is there. And that's why Paul says in Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You want victory? Walk in the Spirit. You want, you want to conquer those habitual sins? Walk in the Spirit. Realize who you are. Resist the sinful flesh by walking in the Spirit. Let me ask you this. If you say you are a Christian, what do people see? What do they really see from you? If people know you're a Christian, maybe you, you vocalized that before. Maybe you, 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 you prayed that or you shared with, with someone. But what do they see on a regular basis? What is it? Do, what do they see, I should say this way, most of the time? Because we're not perfect, right? What do people see most of the time? The flesh or the spirit? person walking in the flesh, in the old sinful flesh, or walking in the Holy Spirit, empowered by God, a life filled with Jesus. You know, I heard how this Christian lawyer had invited this uh, unsaved attorney to come to his church. The, this attorney asked and said, well, what church do you go to? Well, when the lawyer said the name of the church, you know what the attorney replied? He said, I will never go there. The most crooked attorney I know of in the city of Los Angeles goes to that church. How sad is that? That one person who lived mostly in the flesh, and that's what the world sees, would also give a bad name to the church that he goes to. But how bad is that to Jesus Christ? That our witness, that the way we live would give Jesus a bad name. That people would not want to come to Jesus. Sadly, no matter what you say you are, what you do in your daily life says more. That's why Peter says, resist the old sinful flesh. Someone said that we speak so loudly by what you do that no one can hear what you say. Resist the old sinful flesh. The world is watching. Unbelievers are watching. Your neighbors are watching. Your unsafe family are watching. People around you at work, your coworkers, they're watching. People at school, they're, they're watching. And you know what? They're looking at you and reading you like a book. We talk about, oh, reading each other. Yeah. We talk about, oh, yeah, I could size up someone. Well, think about the world and how they see you. They read you like a book. I, that makes me think of this old poem that goes like this. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day. By deeds that you do, by words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? Let's resist that old sinful flesh in us. Because that's the difference that makes the difference in this world. 
Realize who you are. Resist the old sinful flesh. And let's go to number three, our third and final point. And our, in our outline, number three, reflect a life in Jesus. Reflect a life in Jesus. Do you like my outline? I like it. Realize, resist, reflect. I want you to remember that. Realize who you are. Resist the old sinful flesh. Reflect what? A life in Jesus. I like it, even if you don't like it. If you don't like it, too bad. No, just joking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, verse 12, verse 12. Peter writes, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I feel like here in verse 12, Peter's bringing it all home. And what he said in verse 11, he's bringing it all together here. And he begins with, keep your conduct. Yeah? How you live your life. How you carry yourselves as you go from your house or in, from, in, from in your house to outside of your house. Your attitude, just how you live. How you live what? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles Honorable. Now, Gentiles here, it speaks of unbelievers. That's the idea here. When he, in the New Testament, a lot of times when they use that word Gentiles, because we're all Gentiles if you're not Jewish. But it, in, in this way he's using it, it's talking about the world. He's talking about unbelievers. So he's saying, look, live your life. Keep your conduct like before people in the world, because they're watching, right? Honorable. That word basically means honest. And I will put it to you this way. Live a life that's honest to who you are. Live a life that is honest to you, a child of God, a a person who has been saved and freed from the bondage of his flesh, a person who who is a, a part of the people of God, a person that is a new person in Christ and with Christ living in them. Be honest to that. What you realize, resist that old sinful flesh, and now reflect that of who you are. Let the world see that you are a follower of Jesus by just how you live. By just how you live on this planet. That you are a foreigner, that you are a sojourner, that you are a pilgrim, that you are an exile, that you're a visitor just passing through. So re- reflect a life in Jesus by how you live this life. Did you know that in the book of Acts, in chapter 11, verse 26, that was when the first time followers of Jesus, believers, were called Christians. That's where we get it from. That's that's who we identify with as believers in Christ. We are Christians. What happened was actually the, the world, the unsaved, They were mocking the believers, saying, oh, you guys are Christian. It means like little Christ or followers of Christ. They're actually putting them down. But that became their identity, that they are followers of Christ, little Christ. And I'm sure they are proud of it. Oh, good. I'm glad you see Jesus in me. 
That's where the word Christians, that's where the, 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 the label Christians came from in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. I mean, they stood out. They weren't Jews, yeah? They weren't like uh, worshipers of Caesar, the, the Roman guys. They, they were Christians, so their identity, they stood out in a different way. Their lives reflected a life in Jesus. Does yours? Today, it's sad, but sometimes I don't like to use the word Christian because people just use it in, in a real loose way. Oh, yeah, I'm American, so I'm a Christian. Yeah. Oh, I, I live in the Western culture, so I, yeah, I'm a Christian. But they, don't, they use it in such a loose way. That's why you'll hear me say believers many times because I don't want people to get the wrong idea. But we should be proud. We should live up to our label, who we are. Our, our identities, we're a Christian. We're not Muslim. We're not a Hindu. Yeah? We're not Jewish. I am a Christian. I follow Christ and I love Jesus. So, Peter says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Let your life yeah, be honest to who you are before the world. Now, why is that important? Well, he goes on here in verse 12. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good works. Let's take a look at this first part. When they speak against you as evildoers. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about when, as a Christian, you are falsely accused of doing wrong. When you're, you're, you're treated unfairly because you're a Christian. When, when you're treated unjustly, when unjust charges come against you as a Christian. Remember the background to this book? Remember what's going on in this world? Remember in this Roman Empire, Nero is Caesar at this time, and he's persecuting Christians in a horrible way. The whole lions and Colosseum, the whole thing of grabbing Christians and putting them on, tying them on poles and dipping them in tar, tar and setting them on fire to light his garden. That's how bad it was. There's persecution going on. So remember, Peter writes to Christians who've been who are being severely persecuted at this time. They're arrested. They're, they're unfairly, falsely accused. They're beaten unjustly. They're, so they end up being like the, the cast-downs in society. So what happens is, is that unbelievers are, are, are jumping on this bandwagon, so to speak, and Christians are losing their jobs. They're losing their homes. Christians are, are losing their property and their land unjustly, unfairly. It's so wrong. I was reading about how they are falsely accused of things like, you know what they call Christians? They're, they're cannibals. They're, those guys are really cannibals. Why? Because remember Jesus said when you uh, take communion, right? Take, eat, take, eat. This is my body. He wasn't saying, eat my body, right? He was saying, no, the the bread represents his body that had been given as a sacrifice for our sins. But, of course, this is how rumors get and gossip, right? One little thing snowballs into something that's not true. 
And so they're calling Christians cannibals. Yeah, they eat people when they get together. That's what they do. They were even saying, because uh, Christians would have agape feasts, right? Uh, that was part of the communion. They'd get together, eat, and fellowship. They're saying, you know what agape means? It means love. They're having these love feasts. They're orgies. That's what they're saying. They're falsely accused. They're, they're accused of being antisocial. Why? Because Christians wouldn't, wouldn't partake in, they, they aren't participants in like pagan festivals and rituals and things like that. Oh, they're so antisocial. They even, I thought this was funny. Oh, the, the Christians, they're actually atheists. <laughs> I thought, what? What? You know what they're saying? Oh, well, they don't worship the pagan gods we do. Yeah, the pantheon of gods. Or, or even they don't worship Caesar. They're atheists. Crazy. So you can understand now when Peter says in verse 11, or 12, excuse me, when he says, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, when they falsely accuse you like in all this way, they may see your what? Good deeds. Your godly conduct. Your your, you know what I think of? Godly responses. I mean, this is horrible what's happening to them. It would, it would touch my anger. It would touch my emotions, right? But Peter's like, hey, realize, you're just passing through. Yeah. Realize who you are. Resist that old sinful flesh and reflect Christ. It is important, even when you're falsely accused, that they see your good deeds. Your life shows godly conduct. Your responses, even when you're treated so badly, stick to who you are, Peter's saying, and reflect the life in Jesus, even in the worst of times. I think that's the hardest time, right? When things happen to us, when someone says something about us, when, when a rumor's going on about us, I think that's the hardest time when we're unjustly treated, unfairly treated. The Greek philosopher Plato was told someone had made some slanderous charges against him. What did he do? How did he respond? You know how he responded? He said this, I will live in such a way that no one will believe what he says. I love that. That's what Peter's saying. Keep going on in who you are. Resist, yeah, that sinful flesh of what it wants to do. But reflect a life in Jesus. Really, when things like that happen, the false rumors or gossip or you're treated wrong or you're abused, you know what? That's the opportunity to do what we're, we're reading here in these two verses. Realize, resist, reflect. Let's not react just like the world does. Spite for spite, anger for anger, hate, animosity, hostility. Isn't that all of the flesh? Isn't that what we kind of read in Galatians 5? Many times we even feel we have this righteous right, right? To be angry and get into the flesh and be hostile, but... Did you hear what I said? To get into the flesh. Do we ever have a right to that? No. We need to walk 
in the Spirit. And when you walk in the Spirit, yeah, there, there might be times where you have to speak the truth in love. There might be times where, yeah, you, you, you have to not just all be, you know, lovey, lovey, give in kind of thing. But that's in the Spirit. Sometimes we blur that line. Sometimes we mix in your righteous right and justification. And we mix it in with the flesh. And we think that's okay and biblical, but it's not. Imagine what these guys are going through. Peter's like, hey, you guys, you know what? When they falsely accuse you, keep your conduct before the world. How you live there. So, so when they falsely accuse you, when they accuse you of being evil, let them see your good works, your good deeds. He's saying, don't react like the world does. The world operates in the flesh. But we don't anymore. No more. Reflect the life in Jesus, even in the worst of times. Lastly, here in verse 12, he says, and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, the day of visitation, it's actually an Old Testament phrase. Remember, uh, I mentioned already as we <clears throat> go through this book, Peter is just, he just leaks out Old Testament, right? He was taught by Jesus. All the disciples were, in the book of Acts, we're going to see all that leak out, what Jesus taught them, a lot of Old Testament scripture, plus that's all that they had there <laughs> anyway. So he's leaking out, being a Jew too, and understanding this, and now understanding it all in a whole through, through Jesus. Here's this Old Testament phrase coming out. And in the Old Testament, the day of visitation really speaks about when God shows up and when God does something. Yeah, He just cool, shows up in a great way. That's the day of visitation. That's God coming upon this earth. Now, in the Old Testament, understand, when God showed up in the Old Testament, you know what? It was either blessing or judgment, right? I mean, we, we read that. But in the New Testament, in the New Testament, when it speaks of, of the visitation, the day of visitation, it, it always speaks of redemption, of salvation, how his visit brings the way to be saved. Like Jesus came. So when Peter says, and glorify God in the day of visitation, what he's saying is, your godly life will bring the unbeliever to glorify God when that person gets saved. That's what he's saying. The way you conduct yourself, even being accused of doing evil, and you continue to do good, you know what? When they come to the Lord, when they get saved, they're going to glorify God. They're going to understand. They're going to go, wow, praise the Lord. So reflect the life in Jesus. So you know what? In the end, God will be glorified. That God will be glorified. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When you're hurt by someone's sin, when you're hurt by 
things going on in the society, words said, actions taken. It is the hardest time to be godly. But when you resist the flesh, and you remember who you are, hey, I'm just passing through, this is going to be temporary, who, and I'm going to have that life in heaven, be free of all this. And when you continue to live that godly life, that's the most powerful testimony. Yeah? That's the most uh, greatest influence, I should say. That's when the light of Jesus Christ is shining the brightest in the darkest time. And that's when God is glorified the most. So, you know, let's be motivated, motivated by this. Let's be motivated that we need to reflect the life in Jesus and all the troubles we go through and all the pressures we're under and what the world does to us and, and what people do in their bad choices and, and the words that are said, the things that are done. Do not stop reflecting a life in Jesus. This is the difference that makes the difference in the world. I'll close with this. This um, Christian in China, this Chinese Christian, was uh, a rice farmer, a poor rice farmer up in the mountains. And every day he would wake up in the morning and he would have to pump water into his rice fields, his rice paddies. But he found out every morning after he did that, he found his neighbor, who was an unbeliever, open up the dikes of his field to fill his own paddies down below. And they would drain the water out. What, what is he going to do? This is wrong. I did all the work. He's stealing my, what I did. For a while, the Christian let it go. His neighbor was already hostile to him, so he didn't, he didn't want to you know, get into all that. He struggled. It's wrong. It's unfair. I need to do something. I need to talk to him. I need to get at him. And you can imagine his emotions. You can imagine his hurt. You can imagine his anger in all of this. But the reality was if this goes on, his own rice would die. What does, what does he do? You know what he did? He prayed. After praying... After much prayer, I should say, the Christian rice farmer, you know what he, did? what he did? He got up early in the morning and he first filled his neighbor's field and then he filled his own field. And you can guess, right after that, his neighbor became a Christian. Goodness can overcome evil. And that's what we do as Christians. Realize, resist, reflect. And that is the difference that makes the difference. Let's pray. Dear God, as we look at this passage, I see my own lack, laziness, my own failures in giving into my own old sinful flesh, so self-absorbed, only wanting what I want.
waging war against my soul, the new me. God, we come to you humbly right now that we haven't been good in this. I don't know if I'll ever be perfect, but Lord, help us to make more effort to realize, resist, and reflect. God, that our lives, Lord, will glorify you. And even in the hardest times, God, when we're stretched to the limit, when we're challenged and tested, God, and, and we feel like giving up, we feel like giving into the flesh, where our anger and emotions overwhelm us, God, help us to climb up on you, our rock, and be higher than whatever our flesh is trying to get at us. Lord, I pray that your life would be magnified in us today. God, that for us to live would be you, Jesus Christ. And even in the worst of times, Lord, that we would still do everything we can to hold up the torch, Lord, of your salvation. Not just sharing the gospel, but that your gospel is in us. We're saved because of your gospel. And as we live for you, we're, ho- we're holding that torch up high. That even with adversity and hostility and, and attacks and unfair actions and unjust actions done to us, even with words that go deeply and hurt so deeply, God, that you would help us to still keep our conduct honorable before this world because that's who we are. I am a Christian. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. God, we want to live that kind of life the difference that makes a difference, Lord. So I ask, God, as we close here this morning, as we worship you, that your spirit would come and fall upon us, Lord. For we cannot do it on our own, God. We cannot be this person completely without you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, as we surrender our lives to you as we submit to your Holy Spirit as we give over our situations that we cannot control as we surrender everything every part of us what's in our mind, what's in our heart our emotions, our attitudes, may they be laid before your cross Lord and may you change us, transform us Fill us, God, and help us be the people you want us to be. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.